This is the Elite Game Developers Podcast, a podcast about the entrepreneurs and investors who are building the games companies of the future. In this webinar from November 2020, I was talking with James Kramer from Skunkworks Games, who is the co-founder and CEO of that company. We were talking about a topic called early stage success in mobile games. So I had been helping James and his team for the last 12 months as an advisor, and they finally found success with their game. So in this episode, we go through their process of fundraising from angels, what it really took to to take them to the next level, in a sense, in the whole progress. But before we go to the episode, here's a few words from our sponsors. We all know that developing a great game is one thing, but developing a great games business can be something else entirely. That's why some of the top game developers in the industry use Iron Source's Game Growth platform, which takes care of both sides of the business, helping you monetize and to fuel your user acquisition. I for one wish we were using these guys in the early days of Next Games. You might also have heard of their Level Up podcast and a Medium blog. In terms of gaming content, this blog is up there with the best, featuring game industry experts talking all things game design, development and growth. See for yourself by searching for Iron Source Level Up on Medium or Spotify. Hey game developer, are you looking for great new authentic video creatives? Try something totally new with influencer-generated content IGC by Opera Event. Influencers and actors will make specific creative content for your games. An Opera Event will deliver you high-quality video ads that highlight the best parts of your game. Get a free video with a purchase of four or more videos. Remember to say that Elite Game Developers sent you to claim your free video. Go to getigc.com to see some examples and get more information. That's getigc.com. Welcome everybody to this webinar. Uh, I've been working with James for over a year now with like advising and helping out with Skunk Works. Really enjoyed watching the team develop and grow and get into kind of a different mode in the company in the last six months. Uh, and it's super interesting to see where, where things go from here. But like, I'll let you, James, introduce yourself and uh, the topic that we're going to be covering today. Yeah, okay, sure. Thanks for the, thanks for the intro and, and uh, thanks everyone for joining. Um, Really nice to do this. It's a good opportunity, I think. Uh, also a good uh, therapeutic to kind of talk this stuff through because quite often you you live a lot of this stuff in your head <laughs> when uh, when things move so fast. So yeah, really nice to kind of go back and reflect on on some of the early stuff we did with Skunkworks. So um, yeah, you might have gathered that my name is James and uh, I am one of the co-founders and uh, CEO of Skunkworks. We're a mobile game studio based in, in Helsinki. And uh, we're just about to approach our first birthday. So this is a really good time to kind of pause and actually reflect on everything that's happened. Um, we incorporated the company in December, early December of last year. And we started to raise money uh, probably before that, 
around this time last year, so end of November. Um, and to date, we've raised just a little bit short of uh, 700,000 euros, but the vast majority of that, more than I think 75% of that has actually come uh, in the last, well, at, at the start of Q4, basically. So we existed for uh, quite a long time with, uh, with very little money and uh, paying very, very low salaries, but working at extremely fast pace. And the whole point of that, I will kind of get into and explain. Um, but first, let me just give you a snapshot of Skunkworks today. So uh, November 2020, uh, we are currently nine people on the team. Uh, I am the only one who doesn't do any kind of game development, which is for the best, trust me. Uh, <laughs> so I make the coffee and I basically do webinars. That's my, my job, I guess. Um, and then the rest of the team, we're pretty finely balanced between design, art, and uh, development. We also have Stella, who's a marketing lead. Uh, we also have another person starting at the beginning of next year who will handle user acquisition. So we'll be up to 10. Um, and we're also just about to move into a beautiful new office right in the center of downtown Helsinki. Um, but there's a, a couple of things to note here about the team. So firstly, uh, we all have a very solid background in mobile free-to-play. So uh, if, you, if you start a games company in Helsinki and if you have uh, developers uh, living and working in Helsinki, it's very, very likely that they're gonna have a mobile free-to-play background. So it, it kind of makes sense that that's the business you would go into. Like it wouldn't have made any sense for us to go anywhere else, indie or uh, let's say premium, premium development. So we all have a really solid background uh, in, in that sense. But having said that, as you can see from the pictures, uh, our core team is actually quite young. So the majority are actually still in their 20s. And um, the reason I bring this up is because it's, it's kind of relevant to this uh, fundraising sort of conversation because very early on, we got a lot of signals from investors that uh, you would need to have a veteran team, right? So this is the differentiator that we didn't have a veteran team from the very beginning. And so uh, what we started to see was actually some veteran teams coming along and having their whole round taken by one investor or just, just basically raising the money, you know, just like this. And so that, that was, um, that was a, a big signal to us that we would have to work differently, that we'd have to think differently, we'd have to act differently, that we would have to, uh, well, frankly, we just work a lot harder that we would have to be faster and, and better and, and um, a lot more focused, right? So we like taking risks, but at the same time, you know, we, we, we needed to really calculate every single risk we took. And, and that was a big deal. And now we've ended up with, I think, probably one of the, the hardest working teams in, in at least in, in Arcade 5, which is where our office is based. Um, sorry to the light heart guys, we love you, but we work harder. Um, so uh, we, we worked super hard for, for months and months and months, uh, getting paid very little money. It was not very comfortable. And that really forged us as a group. Um, and, and now I think we're highly prepared to go forward from here. And I, I think the next big challenge for us will actually just be like, how do we maintain um, this level of intensity now that we go forward with, with, more, with more money in the bank? Um, but anyway, so about Skunkworks itself, uh, from the very beginning, we formed around a pretty simple core principle. So 
there was no need to make it any more complex than this. Uh, the whole idea was that we wouldn't come to the table with already formed ideas for games. Uh, we wouldn't say, hey, we've got a, a really good idea for a brand new RPG or a brand new kind of meta game or, or anything like that. Our whole approach was like, let's just look at the market and we'll see what does the market say? What is the market currently asking for? Where is the, the least amount of competition that we can operate the, the, the quickest in and, and gain traction? Because, um, I mean, it's a marathon, not a sprint, right? You're trying to set up a company so that it, it lasts. And if you take this approach where uh, you have to take six months or more just to get a game out of the door, for a team like ours, you know, going back to this whole idea that we're not a veteran team, um, we, we just didn't have the option, basically. We didn't have the option to spend a very long time uh, working on one single title. So uh, the whole concept is just figure out who you're making a game for, get it to them as quickly as possible, um, and, and validate that as quickly as possible. And we ended up working and thinking a lot like hyper-casual developers. We're not hyper-casual developers, but we take a lot of inspiration and a lot of... Um, a lot of learnings from the way that whole section of the industry operates. I think it's very interesting. So um, I think typically, at least in my experience, a lot of the companies I've worked for, uh, including mine and Joachim's common company, Next Games, the ideas are already set before you go to soft launch, right? But we just wanted to be kind of like freewheeling and, and able to make very rapid decisions and, and change things very quickly. Uh, but the validation part, I think, is probably something that we're very good at it now, but we haven't yet codified what it is we need to do. Uh, and I think that that's probably the key now to us being able to repeat our success. Um, so we are currently working. Oh, sorry, it's getting ahead of myself there. Uh, and actually, this is a, a screenshot from a movie called The Founder. And the, the movie is about the McDonald brothers. Okay, so it's, it's about the early days when the McDonald brothers came up with the whole idea for their their kitchen system that kind of revolutionized diners back in the 50s. And what this diagram shows is that um, they took all of their staff out to a tennis court and they recreated the whole kitchen and they just went through all the motions in the, in the tennis court. And they did this with chalk so that they could easily make adjustments and figure things out. And the reason I bring this up is because something that I noticed quite a lot of uh, when I was really thinking about how to make a company was a lot of companies come out of the blocks and they write in their pitch deck, like, we're going to be as big as McDonald's, right? This is the thinking. They don't literally say this, but this is the thinking. We're going to be as big as McDonald's. And they think in order to be as big as McDonald's, we're going to make the best burger. And that's kind of the way a lot of developers tend to think of themselves. Like, we're, we're a great team and we can make the best burgers. But they don't think about the whole fact that the customer arrives at the window and asks for something. And you have to figure out how to get that thing to them as quickly and as efficiently as possible. And that's the way we set ourselves up, is that we just want to be able to deliver what customers are actually asking for very, very quickly. And so that's the reason I included this slide, because I just wanted to make that point. Uh, and that's, that's Skunkworks in a nutshell, I would say. Um, we are currently working on a game called Merge Friends. It's actually our third prototype, but second launched game. So uh, we started working on this thing in May. Uh, we got it, I think we ran the first UA tests uh, in July, July 16th, if I remember correctly. Uh, 
So two months from the first lines of code to soft launch. Um, we then took one month to validate this. And in total, we've just done six months of development. We're very, very close now to, in fact, I would say today, probably we just released an update, uh, which would be the last major update we want to do before we start to ramp up UA. But it's also almost Christmas, so bad timing on our part, but uh, we're, we're ready to go now with this game. And it's actually been killing it in soft launch, so it's, it's doing really well. Um, and it was enough to allow us to make a decision very quickly, hey, we just drop everything else we're doing and we just focus on this. Like we drop all the pretense, we just go forward with this. Um, and by the way, disclaimer, that noise is my neighbors doing renovations upstairs. So yeah, we need to renovate because we're staying at home so much. So yeah. we need to have good places. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so we're, we're really, really fast when it comes to, to uh, prototyping and, and getting a game out into soft launch. And I would say that if we were to do this process again now, I don't think much would really change. I think the one thing that would really change is just the level of quality in that two months, right? The, the ability to get something even better uh, into soft launch. And, and I think one month to validate is, is just about right because you get your day 30, right? And uh, yeah, I, I think that, that is, I wish I would see more, more companies kind of operate this way and just be unafraid to, to put something out that looks like total shit, <laughs> to be honest, because the game really did look like crap when we put it out. I, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't great and we got some feedback about that, but at the same time, it's not about what investors say, it's about what the audience says. And from the audience reaction, we saw pretty much immediately that the game was, it had the metrics to fly. And we, we're not talking about um, uh, like normal day 30 and, and day 60 metrics that a lot of investors asked for. But what we were looking at was things like session lengths and time from first session to second session and uh, time from first session to payment and, and things like this. So we were looking differently at, at the way the game performed. <clears throat> uh, but then coming back to Skunkworks itself, by the way, James, like I'll just note to, to the people who are watching, like just put questions already into the to the Q and A here in in Zoom at the bottom, because we're going to be taking those. Uh, so just start writing stuff. I I at least have a few questions on merge friends, but like let's let's get to the questions when you've gone through. Yeah, I think the questions will be the actual the the beef. It so will be. If, if, just ask anything. I'm I'm, I'm an open book. Yeah. So. Uh, so yeah, just going back to like the early days, so November and December of last year, what our focus was, uh, was actually just to raise 30,000 euros. So the reason for that is because we live in Finland and we have um, Business Finland, which is basically the, it's like the investment arm of the Finnish government. And they have a scheme where you, it's called a tempo grant. And if you can prove that you have 30,000 euros of your own, they will give you 50,000 euros. So um that was our initial target, 30. I mean, we wanted 50, right? That that was the, the real goal, 50,000 euros. But um, the minimum we wanted to raise was, was that 30 so that we could get the 50. Um, and then our, our other goals were basically just keep the costs as low as possible for as long as possible until something stuck uh, and use the money that we raised to build and validate as many games as possible as quickly as possible. So I think... I went back over some old conversations with one of our angels, and I think I told him that we would make uh, six to 10 prototypes in 2020. Actually, we made three and one stuck. So, you know, we, we were on course to do something good. Um, but uh, 
but that that was the that was the initial target and I, I want to bring this up here and just go off on a little tangent because uh, even though we're in Finland and we have good benefits here for startup companies I think it's also true that other companies have a lot of good benefits and you would do very very well to figure out what those are before you set off on your pitching journey this is something I didn't do uh, which I did but there is a lot of money available. There's a, there's a lot of niche money available, actually. So if you consider that um, the EU has a fund for female-led teams that make narrative games for females, that is such a niche that if you put that team together, you would almost certainly get money from the EU because, like, who else is doing that? Um, but there's also other funds which... Uh, so the EU is, for example, keen to connect different countries digitally. Um, so, for example, if you partner up with a company in Spain, and uh, that noise is annoying, but if you partner up with a, with a company in Spain, you can actually apply for a grant then from, from the EU, which would help you to develop your relationship with that, with that other company in the other country. Um, so the point really is, is like figure out what's available. And the reason you should do this is not just because it's money and not just because it's, it's available, but think about how you pitch this to an investor, right? Think about how this was for us. We could go to an angel and we could say, look, if we raise at least 30,000, we can get 50. And so you're investing in something that, that suddenly just has a couple months runway, you know, evolving into many, many months of runway, just like that, because we, we get access to this cash. And so it, it, you have to think about it from, from that point of view, like investors want you to go as long as possible. Um, and they don't want to think that they're, they want to mitigate their own risks, right? So uh, they don't want to think that they're just going to chuck a bunch of cash into a company that exists only for a couple of months and then just like what happened to those guys um so it's a really good argument it's a really really good argument for investors and actually i just want to note that um there's a company called super plus games that raised recently and when you i think they raised 1.5 million uh Yoke, maybe you know yeah um, five million something yeah, yeah something like that and, and yeah. when you actually look at the fine print the amount of money they raised from investors was about half of that. And then the rest came from Business Finland. So actually they, they just put all of that together and said like, this is not a 2 million investment. It's like a, it's like a 5 million investment. Mm -hmm. uh, and the same is true for us now that we, we can also apply for further grants and money from the Finnish government. And that's a very, very good proposition to give to, to investors because they also now know that the money they invest in us is going to go to the right places. It's not going to go to... Uh, it's not going to get wasted, basically. So yeah, I think there's like, there's like four different tiers or something in Business Finland. Like the innovation voucher is the smallest, which is like five grand or something. Five, five, actually, it's 6,000. Yeah. And you have to pay the first thousand yourself. Yeah. So. And then, then you go to this tempo, which is the 50 grand. Then yeah. you go to the R&D loan slash grant territory of hundreds yeah, and of then thousands. There is there is another one which is more like two million, I think, or is it? yeah, it's a lot higher anyway. Young innovations companies uh, yeah, program, the one, yeah. which is up to a million, yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, the, the point being that this is um, this is what we focused on at the very beginning was hey, we just need to make this much money so we can get that much money. That's that's all, right? And then uh, in terms of our raising strategy, yeah, we didn't have one, <laughs> so. Um, uh, we didn't we didn't put it all down on paper. We didn't we didn't make a clear strategy and say that like 
okay, these are the types of people we want to meet. These are the funds we want to meet. This is what we're going to argue. This is what we're going to say to them and how we pitch ourselves. We just kind of rocked up with no plan. And um, it's funny because I've thought a lot about this in the last couple of weeks. Like, would I do anything different? I suppose the answer is no. Because, uh, and I can get more into this afterwards, but like we learned so much about not having a plan um, that, that basically it just, it, maybe the chips just fell where they where they did and and everything kind of worked out for us but um but here's what actually happened so we got introduced to our first angel via industry contacts in fact uh i think actually joachim was the the one who introduced us to our first angel and um we had several meetings uh phone calls mostly this is pre-zoom days and pre-covid um so we had several meetings uh, just over the phone. And I remember one particular meeting where we had no meeting rooms booked and Ollie, my co-founder and I had to actually leg it uh, to the nearest hotel. And we were in this hotel lobby, like cuddled around the computer, um, having a call with this guy. And, and so I think there was like three meetings uh, in total and an, an email, which was like this long that I sent to him just detailing how we intended to go about business and what our thoughts were. Um, and then the second angel we met via uh, the meeting system at Slosh. So this was entirely handled by Ollie. In fact, um, he got the meeting and, and he, he met face to face with, with, uh, with that angel several times. And, and he, he really led that. Um, so that was good. And if anybody doesn't know, Slosh is, um, is a tech conference held in Helsinki normally every year, just not this year um, for obvious reasons. Uh, and during that slush week, we also met with several of the larger VC funds. So if I was to name drop, I guarantee you would know every single one of them. They're very well-known funds. Um, but they led to nothing, ultimately. Uh, and then eventually, we closed the first 50,000 via those two angels. And we raised an additional 5,000 via friends, family, and fools. Um, then, of course, because we had that, we were able to trigger the 50,000 from Business Finland. So 105,000. And I think that lasted us then until August, August of this year. So you can imagine our burn rate was super low. Um, and, and during that time, we managed to put together several tries uh, and get, you know, and get validation on several games. And here's, here's, uh, here's the learnings that I had from, from that whole process. Like if I was to go back and explain to somebody how you should think about approaching raising money, think of it like, uh, like a dungeon crawler, okay? So think about you you can't pass through until the, the following dungeon until you have equipped yourself with all the things you need to pass the second dungeon. Like you could easily get out of the first dungeon, but to pass the second one, you're gonna find yourself in trouble unless you're like OP, like you need to be totally OP to get through. Um, and of course there is some types of teams like the aforementioned veteran teams and rockstar teams that are available to, uh, able to, parachute themselves into the second dungeon or even the third dungeon for some of them, you know, or they're just able to raise like very large amounts of money, regardless of what round investment round you're in. Um, but if, if you like us are a less experienced team and you need to work your asses off, like just stay in the first dungeon <laughs> until you are absolutely sure that you have everything you need to get into the second one for us. That meant making multiple prototypes. Uh, and we had very, very good angels. Like 
our investors like I really like our investors. I hope they're in the call. Like I really like you guys. Um, and I, I I wouldn't swap that for anything. The only thing I would probably change is like maybe more more angels. Um, but yeah, so the the point being that to get through into pre-seed for us, that meant having a game with very good metrics uh, and not just not just a couple of days worth of metrics, but an entire 30 day cycle. Uh, we needed at least that and we needed to be able to project like revenue wasn't that important it's still not that important now um but yeah the the retention numbers the engagement numbers uh i remember one one investor in the in the last round we did um who saw the engagement numbers and i like i, I like to think that one, once he saw our engagement numbers he was like okay i'm sold because the the retention was good but the engagement was even better um and that's basically how it goes. Now, for us to get into seed, I think we're going to have to show very strong revenue metrics. So that's the next stage for us is to to actually get to that stage. Um, and, and that's kind of how I would recommend moving forward. Just stay in lane until you're absolutely sure you can pass the next dungeon. Like become OP in the dungeon you're in mm. uh, and then move forward. And something else I want to explain here is that you could probably slap a ton of VC funds into different parts here. And um, if a VC ever says, yeah, we invest in this stage, uh, check Crunchbase. <laughs> Just do yourself a favor and check what the recent investments have been. Like usually when they say they come in at an early stage and you check Crunchbase and it's like all of their last 10 investments have been at Series A, then it's very unlikely you'll actually make traction with them. Uh, I'm not saying it's not worth talking to them at any stage, but just just be careful of how you spend your time and, and just be wary of how how much armor or how much equipment you have to get through to the next stage. And um and yeah, that's that's uh that's pretty much it from from the slides. I think that is the last slide. And, and that's pretty much our story, really, um, in a nutshell. There's a lot of stuff I've omitted here. Like we had a first game that that we worked on for a while, and uh we had a second prototype that we worked on for a while. Um, but yeah, that's Skunkworks last 12 months in a couple of minutes nice thanks james no worries gonna drop you some questions here like how many investor meetings did you have to go through before you got that first yes do you think there was a an iteration going on for for actually like what you were messaging to, mm. to get the yes or was it more about like a good fit If I remember correctly, with both of the original angels, uh, it was something like three meetings each. Mm. And each meeting, uh, with one angel, each meeting was like two hours, three hours long. With the other one, it was um, about an hour, an hour mm. or more. But then a lot of emails and messages back and forth as well. Uh, and I would say the time frame was about a month to a month and a half before we actually closed those. Yeah, uh, We didn't iterate anything. We didn't change anything we were doing. But what's interesting about the first couple of angels we spoke with was that they had different angles. So one of them was really, really interested in uh, the mechanics of day-to-day -day business, right? How do you manage your projects? Like, do you work in sprints? Do you use Scrum? Uh, what methodology do you use? He was very, very interested in, uh, okay, you're sitting in front of me telling me you're going to do X, Y, Z. Tell me exactly how you intended to achieve those things. Like, um, how do you intend to get to that first project milestone? 
Um, what will you do then? You know, very, very granular questions about day-to-day -day operations. And I really appreciated that. And I still appreciate it now because no investor since has really asked that level of detail about our day-to-day operations. And the other angel, his questions were more focused on how do you intend to validate the data that you're using to go in the direction you're heading? Like, how do you intend to prove that the subgenre you're, you're making a game for is actually like, that's a thing. Like how, how so he was very interested in, in the data approach. Um, and I, I would say altogether, they didn't know this at the time, but altogether that also helped us solidify our, our model. Um, and then from the time we closed that investment, I guess it was until basically October, uh, September, October, until we closed the bigger round after that. Mm. And I pitched practically the whole time. So I have had, uh, I have sat on this floor in front of this computer many times <laughs> saying these exact things. Uh, so I, I don't know how many meetings. Tens. What do you think like could speed up like somebody who starts the process now, like at that stage where you were a year ago? Like, what are the, the key lessons there to speed up that process? What do you think? You mean the process of going from the first money to the second or? Well, well, starting from zero, going to, to having, you know, proper funding that you can actually start executing uh, on um, some ideas that you have with funding. Well, yeah, that, that's a good question. I, I think, uh, as I already said, that our burn rate was super low, right? So it was like 14,000. So... 14 to 16,000 for quite a while. Um, but in terms of what could speed that up, um, I don't know, because a lot of it was out of our control, to be honest. We had this one week that we now refer to as like the week of death when, um, when nobody would answer our emails. And we were like, okay, we're one week away from this whole thing falling apart. Mm. Uh, so one thing I probably would have done at that stage, if I could go back now to January and, and avoid the week of death, I would probably have just made sure I had at least five more angels on the line. Mm. Um, I, I would have spoken to fewer funds, fewer VC funds and more angels. Mm. Um, and I would have been more open to smaller ticket investments than I was in the end. Like we wanted to get like 25K tickets um, or higher. Uh, yeah, that, that's one major thing that I think would probably speed it up because you need to also create some level of competition amongst investors. Um, you need to have an alternative and you need to also communicate that alternative to them and say like, look, if you're not interested, we'll just, we have other people that we can talk to, stop wasting my time. Um, mm -hmm. But that's, that's one thing that I think probably could speed it up. But you also have to remember at this stage, at that particular stage, for us, that was pre-incorporation. You're dealing with people who they're just nice people. They're individuals who have made an exit or they've worked for a company that did a, did an IPO or, or, you know, they, they have a bit of cash in the bank from family funds or an inheritance or, or any, any, you know, and you're dealing with real people who have real day-to-day -day stuff going on of their own. Right. So they're not like um, billionaires or anything like that. These are so uh, yeah, to speed up, the point being that you've got to be nice, you know, with these people, you've got to be very nice. Um, but you also should create a little bit of competition. You have to get them to move a bit faster and to make them think that you have to create FOMO and make them think they are going to miss out unless they, they get involved right now. Yeah. It's something yeah. I I'm, I've got better at, but I, I definitely wasn't good at last, last December. Hmm. 
do you then uh what do you think about like following if somebody said like that they don't have time for this now or they they're gonna say no now do you think it's always worth to to come back to those people or do you just want to move on yeah. like what's best for speed and optimizing the process well i i think you should create like a process in your mind about like uh almost like a sales funnel that if you contact them three times and you get no every time then you move them into a space which is like okay i am going to keep you updated and i'm going to keep you on the line whether you like it or not but i am going to turn the majority of my focus to other people yeah basically i think that's that's fair from both sides yeah last thing about like before i wanted to move this to the to the audience is asking about like the tempo financing plus you have this idea of you know two months to get to a soft launch do you think that is optimal in a sense like if you're trying to find that game that will work and you have maybe 100 to 150,000 to do that like do you think there's still room for improvement what do you think what sorry what 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 do you mean like what is the uh like if you you said that you spent two months developing that game that goes to soft launch yeah and when you have a financing like 100 or 150,000 do you think that's very optimal for any mobile studio who oh yeah yeah i think so i mean if you imagine that on our team like i said i don't do i i got involved with our first game and it very quickly became obvious that i should not and um and i backed away but I'm still on the burn rate, right? I'm, I'm still on the salary. Um, so I'm still getting paid. But if you if you don't have someone like me in your team, then you really only need two or three people to move that forward. And I would say, uh, you know, speaking of alternative funding, there is also in Finland this um, AVEC Digi demo. I think it only comes up a couple of times a year. Mm-hmm. That's 25,000. And that's easily enough to, to get a game into soft launch. The problem with that is that they don't like commercial products. So it becomes a bit difficult if you're making mobile free to play. Um, But in any case, I I think probably 20 to 30,000 is is easily enough to get a game into soft launch and validate it. Yeah. Yeah. I think they, they require you to, to create a thematic around something like, you know, a cultural heritage or whatnot. Yeah. So yeah. Do the first version with that theme and then scrap it if the numbers are good. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Avec, but <laughs> say that out loud. <laughs> um, but yeah, that that could be a very good option. And um, I mean, uh, we of course learn this along the way about how easy it is. But and everyone should know this. But buying assets, uh, ready-made assets for a game, is super easy. And there is so much variety out there. And and also. We used Fiverr a couple of times for various things. Like we used all these freelancing sites and, and just got stuff for very cheap. Mm. Um, now I think we're even better at that because we actually have a repository of assets and we obviously have artists on board. But at the time we didn't have artists uh, and, and that was a way to just throw things together really fast and, and just get them out there. Um, and yeah, like I said, when we released Merge Friends, it didn't look, uh, Emma's Kitchen even didn't look great for a long time we did three or four iterations of that from the ui point of view and the art point of view um but yeah i i think that amount of money is more than enough to buy the assets you need to be honest these days thanks i'm gonna now get 
going with uh, the Q&A here. There's a lot here. So I'll ask the questions and you can then answer. So first one here from Michael. A lot of people are making merge games. Are you worried about how competitive this space will become next year and the impact on CPIs? I'll also ask like a, a defining like uh, follow-up is like, what are you planning now to do actually? Um, so uh, yeah, in, in terms of the first question, absolutely not. Um, in fact, the opposite. Because uh, so what we did with Merge Friends in the beginning was we ran technical tests in Malaysia and our retention numbers came back super, super crap. Um, and then we did further tests in the UK and they came back super good. Now, if you imagine that very few companies are actually running any kind of UA in Indonesia, you have to think about this from the perspective of perspective of this is a fairly new mechanic, um, like relatively new. And people need to be educated on it. And it might not be till the second, third, fourth game that somebody really makes a billion dollar hit, right? Um, of course, you've got Merge Dragons, which is kind of on its way. But um, but in terms of, uh, we think of this as more of an emerging mechanic that will eventually replace Classic Match 3. And then if you think about Classic Match 3, Bejeweled existed, all the PopCap games existed. The several, I mean, how competitive is match three and yet match three games still keep on coming out and, and killing it on, on top grossing. So absolutely not. And then there is this other thing that um, maybe I don't understand this theory so well, but there is this uh, hotelings theory, which is like why you see uh, furniture stores all gathered together in a mall is because the idea is that the more, uh, the less differentiation there is and, and the closer they are, the more people will understand this is where I go to get that kind of experience or that, that kind of product, right, furniture or whatever. And, and I think the same is true for the digital space. It's just that we're not physically close together. Um, we just need to make sure that we are not veering off too far to, to some direction that nobody else is going. We just need to be careful about it. But no, we're excited about the opportunity, honestly. And um, I, I think we've learned a ton about making merge games, a ton. Um, and, and like intangible things like how does it feel when you pick up a tile and merge it to another one? And what are the VFX you use? What is the juiciness? Um, and there is other games right there, uh, out there right now, which are very similar to ours and they don't have the metrics we have. Um, so yeah, we, we, yeah, bring it on. It's going to be fun. Mm. Next question here. Um, I didn't actually answer your other question. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we need to do another webinar on what you guys yeah, do maybe. next year. Uh, when did you, uh, from Søren here, uh, when did you look at different KPIs than normal KPIs? And did you know beforehand that you wanted specifically to look at different KPIs? Um, no, it was just something that kind of happened organically, I suppose, because uh, something we did was we have a, an audience in App Store Connect, right? And we had our first game, Emma's Kitchen, and we had an audience of like friends and family and, and so on uh, that we distributed the game to. And we could see from, from Emma's Kitchen that some of those people were playing like 30 to 50 sessions. Mm. Um, and then when we invited the same, the exact same audience to play Merge Friends, we were seeing 150, 200 sessions, 300 sessions. Uh, so we, we knew immediately that, hey, there's something different about this game. And something we tend to look at is the percentiles, like um, what does how much does the top 10% play? How many sessions in a 28-day in a period? Um, 
so yeah, we, we're looking more at like sessioning data, I, I would say, um, as an indicator of, of uh, how long do we think someone will stay in this game. In terms of when we looked at that, I don't know. It's just something we picked up on as we were going through the process, to be honest. Hmm. Yeah, I guess it's more about like looking for the anomalies uh, also in those early yeah. engagement numbers to kind of like, because you're benchmarking in a sense, like, is this a, a product we want to double down on? And like, yeah, and it's something I think is really interesting. So when we went to Indonesia, uh, uh, just to be very candid about this, like we had something like 26% day one retention. And um, uh, that's really bad. 26% is not good. And, um, but when you, when you actually looked at the 26% that went through, what you could see was that the engagement was just flat, right? So the, the, the retention was just very, very flat after that first couple of days. Um, so the indications were all there and it was just a matter of like diving in and not, not being afraid of the, uh, the numbers that investors love basically, meaning mm -hmm. the retention numbers. Yeah. Here's Alexander asking, like, I noticed that your team of nine has positions like CEO, COO, CPO. Can you elaborate on their roles uh, other than getting coffee and webinars? <laughs> uh, so, well, my job, I'm, I mean, I'm pretty much responsible for paying for the coffee that everyone drinks or making sure that the money is there to pay for it. That's, that's what I spend the majority of my time doing, like investor relations and so on. Um, and a lot of business development. Um, but in terms of the actual titles, I don't think they really mean much, to be honest. It's just a way to, to put a stake in the ground for everybody. Um, in terms of our coders, we have one coder who's largely responsible for like the tech architecture and the tech we use. Another which is uh, who is more interested in like DevOps, but also does a lot of feature development as well. And then we have one coder who pretty much handles gameplay um, and, and creates the, you, know, you know all the kind of peripheral features around the game. Um, and in terms of titles, they don't really mean much to be honest. We're, we're very uh, everyone is very T-shaped. Like Colin, our, our CPO, uh, he's also a producer and he's also a designer and he's also doing UX design and uh, he does a bit of everything. He does business development. He handles hiring. And it's the same for everyone. You know, Ollie is our COO, but he's also designing the game. Um, he he does so much stuff. And, and so it, it's a startup company. So titles are, they're just things on paper. Hmm. Do you, uh, there's Alexander asking here about uh, defining the soft launch and defining the validation stage. Maybe you can elaborate a bit on like, what is the difference really there? What do you mean? Like, could you, yeah. could you elaborate on the question? Yeah, maybe you could go back to that slide here. Which one? Where you had the merge friends. Uh, That's the place where we're talking about sort of like, yeah. well, you do a soft launch and then you validate, right? Yeah. Did you, I'll, I'll sort of like ask a detailed question on the validation. Did you have specific metrics that you wanted to look at that you knew that you could basically say that okay now we're moving forward with this game oh 
I would love to tell you that we did. I would love to tell you that we had everything mapped out and it was all nice and neat and tidy and we could just tie it up and say, now we know. But it was more it was more flying by the seat of our pants at this stage. Remember that this is only as a company and as a group, the second game we've released. And so the, fir the first one didn't get anywhere near the metrics of the second one. Um, and I, I think the, the moment we really knew that we should move ahead with this was um, when we saw what happened when we stopped running UA in Indonesia. So, uh, I, I mean, it was more, so in general, it was more of a feeling like just continuous um, assessment every day. I mean, the first thing I would do every day is check the numbers, mm. obsessively check the numbers, even throughout the day. Um, and uh, I, I think now going forward, we would know, like we would say, okay, it needs to at least match this. It needs to at least match this benchmark. Um, but back then it was, so what we did was, um, what I did was I was running UA in Indonesia for one day and then running in UA in the UK for one day and just doing that back to back. And the problem there is that like when you stop a Facebook campaign, it doesn't just stop. It takes like six to eight hours to kind of like get down to zero. So we were getting installs coming in while we were running UA campaigns. And that was actually dragging our UA numbers down or the, the overall numbers down. And we weren't like, uh, we, the, the user volumes were so low that we, we were just looking at the data as a whole um, rather than saying, okay, this is the UK users and this is Indonesia. Um, but yeah, once we stopped running Indonesian campaigns, the numbers just went, Phew! so it was a pretty clear indication. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I don't think I want to really give away the actual numbers in this call, but let's just say that they weren't just industry beating, they were industry destroying. So that was a pretty clear indication that we should. Do you, did you figure out why Indonesia had such worse numbers? I... Yeah, good question. I, I genuinely think it comes down to to what I alluded to earlier, which is that um, some audiences are just uh, more educated on different types of mechanics than others, right? And the reason being, it, and therefore the market is just more mature. Like Indonesia is, is a less mature market, I think, because nobody really pushes games there. I thought that's such a basic analysis. And I feel really bad saying it even because it, it's obviously difficult to really understand unless you survey those people. And figure out like why did you quit so that's just an assumption um so take it with a grain of salt but yeah perhaps but, it requires more targeting and whatnot too yeah yeah you know? uh eric is asking here so you've been able to build a great team covering all the essentials in a free-to-play studio how do you get people excited about your vision uh, when you don't have games that the people who are now joining basically published together like you know how do you how do you do that how did i get people excited in the beginning now when they're now joining oh, an no. existing kind of like the table is set and, you know. <laughs> good question because we've made so many offers to people and they've they've not joined uh yeah. it's difficult it's really difficult to hire and I, I would say it's even more difficult to hire in helsinki because the talent pool is so small and the competition is so great um, I haven't figured it out yet, honestly. I, I I think it's very difficult to get people excited, and I, I genuinely think that uh, it's it's out of our hands because COVID has um, made everybody super risk averse. Mm. Employees like a year ago, even um, having a startup company or joining a startup company was really really sexy. 
And everyone was like, yeah, maybe, maybe I can convince my partner to let me do this, you know, let me take this chance because it could pay off. And if it, if it does, then it's going to be great for us. But now it's like, I'm scared that I won't have a job in, in three months time. And if I don't have a job, there won't be another job for me. Um, because the whole, you know, the, the global economy is on downturn. So I think that's been really tough. Yeah. I think it's easy to get people excited about ideas, but getting them to convert into actual employees has been very difficult. Yeah. Uh, then another question here. Can you elaborate on what VC found key and what you needed to have in place organizationally for a VC later stage investor to gain interest in your company? Yeah, good question. Um, you need, uh, I, I would say, to to raise a good seed round. I mean, you can raise a any kind of seed round, but to raise a really good one, meaning you get a good valuation, you get really good investors, you set yourself up for the next 12 to 18 months. Um, you need to have at least two players in every position, basically. And thankfully, in this game, there, there isn't that many positions to fill. But for example, I think you need a senior artist and a, and a junior artist, right? And you need somebody to cover, somebody who can cover marketing and also the communications angles. You need somebody who can cover production, but also the, the minutiae of design. Um, that for me is, is the key. Uh, but I, I don't, I also want to say that I think it's a really bad trap to fall into. And I've fallen into this many times myself to start thinking about what do investors want and versus what will make my business work. Mm. Um, and I, I think probably if I was to sum up the, the biggest learning I've had uh, is try to ignore investor suggestions as much as possible and stick to your plan. Like, of course you can take feedback and of course you can act on that feedback. And if somebody gives you a really good idea and if you're really going wrong and they, they correct you, that's fine. Um, but don't get too lost in investor suggestions. Just a just a tip. Yeah. Here's a really good question, I think, regarding like angel rounds. Uh, Marco is asking, like, how many percent of your company did the first angels ask for? Because hmm. that's the the valu valuations. Um, all that discussion is so always kind of like you know neglected in a way. Like, yeah. Well, let's tackle it. Um, yeah. So this is something that doesn't get discussed very often, valuations. And I've been told by quite a few investors, no, forget about your valuation. Don't worry about your valuation. But it's really important. Mm. Um, and I, actually, our first angels, they didn't think about the percentages. They they literally just thought about the, the valuations themselves um and the terms of the convertible so whether we were raising on a post money or pre-money valuation for example these things are super important um and in terms of the percent it's a moving target we used uh, a calculator uh convertible calculator and i think maybe ollie if you're in the chat could you link that calculator <laughs> um but we use that quite a lot to to work out like so we know what we've what we've raised and we know what valuations we raised at but um surprisingly there is some variations you can you can play with the the next round of investment the trigger um and sometimes if you raise less you actually end up giving more away which is kind of weird um 
So there is a couple of convertible note calculators that we use to try to determine how much should we raise in the next round. And the truth is we actually, at this point, we know roughly like a ballpark number of how much we've given away. I think it's about 14% at the most at the moment. Um, it's not that much. Um, but uh, yeah, use the calculators. Use the calculators. And I think Joachim has a really good um, cap table calculator on, on his website. You should use that. We built our own, so we have a model that we kind of um, we just keep on adding new new uh, new pages to. So we always know what's happening with the evolution of our cap table. Um, but at angel stage, I wouldn't do a priced round personally. Like I wouldn't give away a percentage of the company, uh, especially not pre incorporation. Especially not um, do a valuation. There is an unwritten rule in Helsinki. Uh, that valuations are 3 million, I think. I think, I don't know. See, no one talks about this stuff, but that's yeah. what I kind of get. It gathered. really depends. Like if yeah. it's like you don't have any data, it's from 1 million to two. Yeah. Uh, if you have a super talented team, it doubles immediately. Yeah. Uh, and then if you go to US or UK, it's like those two kind of, they're doubled <laughs> in, a, in a sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Nordics is definitely like really for investors the the best area to you know get the most bang for one dollar. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That that's very true. Um, and we in the beginning uh, we didn't stress too much about our valuation. It was more about survival. Um, and anyway, the the investors we got on board have been so helpful um, to us in terms of opening doors for future rounds and, and introductions to different investors and and in general giving advice like one of our investors writes uh, emails like this freaking long and it's awesome um gives very encouraging advice and, and so on so it it doesn't matter really how much they end up with in terms of the percentage wise because the value that they've given to us is immeasurable i think more questions coming um <laughs> by the way i can go all afternoon if you <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. I think we we won't take more than what we have now in in the chat. The last question is like, how is your finish? I don't think we need to have time for that. <laughs> well, I have a Finnish speaking son, so it's it's that good. He's three. I have three year old level of Finnish. Good. Uh, Jose is asking, how did you keep your team motivated despite the low salary during that like early ah, months? Yeah. Well. They believed in, they believed in the vision, and and also the team is itself is um, extremely hungry. I think uh, there are, uh, you, you know, if you go back six months, there was only four or five of us, and so I, and then there's like a sixteen year gap between the oldest and me, um, not that big, but maybe twelve year gap. But um, uh, so they're young and they're they're keen to to prove themselves, really highly determined. Mm -hmm. And um, they really, really, really strongly believe in the mission and the goal and what we're trying to achieve with this company, basically. And also, um, yeah, Joachim, you helped a lot because you gave us these kind of why workshops and helped us focus on why are we doing this. Um, and I would say that's why it's it's um, just a mixture of the types of personalities we have on board, um, the age of the developers. Uh, there was very few, like if you imagine if there's a guy on your team who's 25, doesn't have a mortgage, doesn't have kids, 
uh, you know, that makes life a lot less stressful in general. Yeah, you can um, you can go about with one thousand five hundred a month or something, and yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, uh, and I it wasn't that difficult, honestly, to keep everybody motivated because everybody just believes in what we're doing and believes in the company. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Thomas is asking, how do you see the value between publishing independently on your own via or via a publisher for a small team? Uh, and would you want to have publishers in Finland uh, for these smaller, you know, not rock star teams? Uh, well, one thing I think, you know, just to from from a Finnish point of view, uh, we are very weak on publishers. We don't have any native publishers here. Please make one. Um, I would work with a Finnish publisher immediately because of the the proximity to us would be, you know, beneficial. Not that I'm against working with foreign publishers, of course, but um, especially since I am a foreigner. But um, but yeah, we just lack them. But consider this, right? So would you would you allow a third party to write a whole base of code for you that makes your game successful or not? Mm. Or would you rather try to learn that in-house? Would you rather try to figure that out with your existing team um, or not? And, and I don't think it should be any different with UA. Like if you want to know as a team how to build and grow a game, if you're a free-to-play mobile game studio, business is the first thing you should learn. You should absolutely know, everybody in the team should know something about why a game succeeds or fails. Yeah. And uh, just anecdotally, I had a conversation with a developer the other day and we were talking about one game that we had both played. Um, And I asked him, why do you think that game failed? And he pretty much started to go very deep into the core mechanics of the game, the metagame mechanics, the collection mechanics, the gacha. And then I was like, but don't you think that the the theme was too niche, that the audience for that game was just simply too small and the number of installs just dried up very, very quickly and then the CPI prices went through the roof? And he was like, no. <laughs> so, but but it's true. That's that's why a game might succeed or fail. And we've seen with our game in the last couple of days, for full disclosure, we've seen a, a drop in retention on day one, and it's because we started to use uh, a different uh, creative asset. Uh, nothing has changed in the game at all. Um, so, I anyway to to sum up, I think that UA and business is something you should absolutely strive to keep in house and strive to teach your team and learn about. Like, why would you just let somebody else decide your fate? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah. All those mechanisms are sort of like something you can bring in house. I don't think it's like developing the game is much more harder. Yeah. yeah. And, and honestly, UA is not rocket science. It's really mm. not rocket science. Um, no. There are some people out there naming no names, but there are some people out there who make it feel like rocket science, but it's not. It's very simple. Mm. Very simple. Uh, isn't Mer- there's a question? Is Merch Friends in Finland? It is in the yeah. App Store, right? Uh, both I- iOS and, and Android. One word: Merch Friends. Yeah. Uh, then John is asking. Uh, I know you said that you could build a game with twenty uh, to thirty k to prototype and to soft launch. What would be the total build cost and then ongoing maintenance costs in delivering a, a mobile gaming concept that has legs beyond two to three years? What would you have spent on marketing like during that phase and then going forward? Well, well, that on the marketing side, I can't answer yet. 
um, because we're not in that place. Uh, I heard the other day that there was a team in Turkey which is spending four and a half million euros a month on UA. Um, crazy numbers, crazy. Uh, but just talking about ourselves, um, I think the biggest costs we've found right now is where technology um, and, and licenses and other outsourced assets. Uh, actually, art is surprisingly cheap. Audio is, for some reason, more expensive. Um, I, I couldn't put a number on it, honestly. I, I think you can, like I said, I think you can get a basic game out with 20 to 30K if you're paying your developers and if you're buying assets. Um, and then you're paying on, on user acquisition as well. That might even be overestimating the amount it would take. I think we did it for less. Hmm. Thank you, sir. This was really good. Uh, the done? recording will be shared later. Yeah. And um, hey, I just want to say that uh, if you are in Helsinki and you you are interested to talk more, you know, drop me a line on, on uh, LinkedIn. Happy to meet up. I'm not scared of COVID. Uh, but uh, yeah, we'd, we'd be happy to meet up and, and network a bit more because it's difficult these days and I miss it. So drop me a line. Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, hopefully you get to get some, do some work without the, the noise happening. It's been <laughs> quiet for now for half an hour. So. Yeah, that's crazy. Like they just chose the moment when I was speaking to make all the noise. All right, good man. See you later. See ya. Bye-bye, everybody. Thanks again, James, for doing the webinar with me. If you like our content, please follow or do subscribe to the show on your favorite podcasting app. And check out our website at EliteGameDevelopers.com where we have a lot of material regarding gaming startups. See you next time, guys. Bye-bye.